This is Jesus speaking. He says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you, so that you will love one another. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to this time and we sit under these words. I recognize that as we uh, assemble here on this dreary day, I, I recognize that we come from all kinds of different places in our lives, and our uh, circumstances, um, in our own souls. Father, I recognize that some of us come here um, in a place of blessing, uh, in a place of provision, of health. Others of us come here and uh, things are not well at all. We feel very broken. Uh, things are not right. Our families are not well. Some of us come here with uh, deep anxiety over provision, over relationships, over problems that we're facing. Or others of us come here with uh, nagging physical infirmities, suffering, pain. And lastly, Lord, some of us are here in grief. Uh, bearing the weight of the brokenness of this world. Lord, I pray that whatever place we find ourselves in, whether we are here in joy or in sorrow, whether we are here um, feeling blessed or feeling broken, whether we are here believing in you or not believing in you, pray that you would give us grace to see that in the way that matters the most, that we do all ultimately come the same with an overwhelming and an unrelenting need to hear from you, to know you, to be changed by you. Open our eyes and show us how you have addressed this need in the person and work of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning and welcome. Delighted to be with you for week two of our new sermon series that we're calling Friend of Sinners, uh, looking at how is it that God befriends us in Jesus Christ and how that befriending of us by God enables us to have friendships with others um, in such a way that's really not possible outside of Christ. That's, that's the thesis that we're going for. I'll tell you that, you know, m to a large extent, uh, our, our culture and our world is disintegrating, as you all know, right? It seems to be disintegrating in, in quite a few ways. And, you know, if you're not a pastor... Uh, that can be really discouraging and depressing, but if you're a pastor, it's actually helpful because the more that the culture disintegrates, the more of a contrast the church is able to be. And that's where I find myself as I survey uh, the ways in which our culture appears to be disintegrating. Uh, I see an opportunity for the church in general and an opportunity for Ironworks in specific that is encouraging and extraordinary. I, I believe that we have the option for spiritual power and effectiveness in our mission in this time and space uh, that perhaps has never been the case uh, in the history of Ironworks, right? As we've, 
We're coming uh, up just over 10 years here. In fact, we just had our 10th, year, 10th birthday from the motion of Presbytery just a couple days ago. It's been 10 years, believe it or not. Uh, we have an opportunity to be something profoundly different, a contrast to the way that the world is um, in a particular area that I think the world is feeling very intensely, uh, and that's the issue of friendship. So uh, there's been a, a decent amount of writing on this, um, you know, in sources such as the Washington Post, Barna Research. Uh, publications are chronicling the fact that as generations proceed, what we're finding is that friendships are becoming more rare and more difficult. And the ones that are there are only with folks who are very homogenous with ourselves, right? So it's becoming more difficult to have a real friendship at all. And it's particularly becoming almost impossible to have a friendship with someone who's not homogenous with us in the way that we think politically or religiously, um, shares hobbies, looks like us. We're finding that that's becoming more difficult. So, for example, uh, millennials, those folks who fit into that age group, uh, one-fifth of all millennials say that they have zero friends. Now, one-third, which includes the group that have at least one friend, still feel a deep loneliness, right? And so I, this is not at all a surprise to me as I've been you know, making my travels in the world and making them in the church. Uh, what I'm finding is that this is very, very much the case, and probably more the case than these statistics even get at, that folks are finding it difficult to have friendships, and even those that have some are still finding a nagging and a profound loneliness. And then more than that, uh, it seems nigh impossible to have a real friendship when there are significant differences in the way that you see the world. And what we find in Scripture and what we'll see in this passage is that friendship is central to the mission of God for people, right? That when we look in the Old Testament, we look in the New Testament, and we'll see it most, I think, powerfully in our passage, that friendship is at the center of the heartbeat of God. And so, as we think about fulfilling our mission to this place, as we think about walking with God, we cannot conceive of doing that apart from experiencing the kinds of friendship that He has for us. So what I want to do is survey this a little bit for you, try to get at the will of God, the plan of God for friendship, and then look most uh, focusedly at our passage. Friendship begins in the Scriptures in the creation of man and woman in Genesis chapter 2. If you remember, uh, there is my favorite contrast uh, in the opening pages of the Bible. God is creating the heavens and the earth. He's creating the light. He's creating the animals. He's creating the land. And there's this refrain, God saw that the light was good. He saw that his creation was good. It's good. It's good. It's good. Over and over and over again. Everything's good until we get to uh, Genesis chapter 2 where he says, it is not good that man be alone. That man living alone, living in loneliness, living without a companion, without a connection to another human being, that that is not good. That that is a deficit. Uh, he goes on in uh, Deuteronomy 13.6 to describe friendship in this way. Listen here. He says, if your brother 
or the son of your mother, or your son or daughter, or the wife you embrace, and then he uses this language to characterize friendship, or your friend who is as your own soul. Right? Isn't that interesting? That, your, that friendship is described um, as a connection between souls. Uh, the predominant metaphor in Scripture for the way that we relate to God in the Old Testament is that of servant, right? It's, it's always um, David, my servant, right? But there are some exceptions to that. So, for example, in uh, the book of Exodus, chapter 33, uh, verse 10 and 11, it says, And with all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the entrance of the tent, and all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Uh, we, Abraham will likewise be referred to in an extraordinary way as a friend of God. And then we come up all the way to the passage that's before us in John chapter 15, uh, verse 15, where he says, No longer do I call you servants. For the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And so what we see here is that in the New Testament, that the way that the, the, the power of God is moving in the world is to move from servant to friend as it relates to God himself. Now, we see this a little more broadly in this passage. I want to try to Again, I was going to try to do this in one verse, but I need to show you some other verses in order to do this. So uh, if you look at uh, verse 12, he says this, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, this is something that is well understood, I think, by Christians throughout the ages, that we are called to love people. And, you know, one of the retorts I often hear is, well, we're called to love people, but we don't need to like them, right? I hate you, brother but I hate you with love, <laughs> right? We have all kinds of fun Christian ways of getting at this. We have all, you know, Christians are very creative in disobeying the scriptures. We have, we have very strong talents in doing that. And so, you know, maybe you're one of these folks that are saying, you know, I I'm going to love everyone, but I don't have to like them, right? And that's okay. Well, the problem that I have with this is that if you look at the connection between verse 12 and verse 13, he says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then what does he say in verse 13? You've got to see this. It is greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for whom? For his friends. You see, the idea of love in the scripture is always a love that leads to friendship. It, the, the, the possibility of that not leading to friendship in this context is completely ruled out grammatically. You see that? Jesus is saying, this is what it means to love. It means to be in friendship in a certain way whereby you sacrifice, whereby you lay down your life. So friendship is not optional in the plan of God, both in terms of how we relate to the Lord himself and also how we relate to others. But as we're seeing here, friendship is increasingly becoming difficult in our culture uh, many of you have related to me how it's difficult for you. Uh, folks are lonely. Folks are often friendless or um, have very few of these kinds of relationships. And then the, the particular theme of my sermon series is that friendship is often not able to survive 
actual real sin. That's why we're calling it friend of sinners. Because it's one thing to be friends with someone if you're enjoying hobbies together, if you're connecting at, at the level of interests and views and uh, common things. But the moment that there is real significant sin, right, when, when a person, when you, when you begin to know someone as a sinner, and that's fine as long as they're sinning against other people, the moment they begin to sin against you, what happens? Most of the time, that friendship comes to an end or is altered forever. Uh, never to be repaired. But Jesus here envisions uh, a community of sinners who experience, nonetheless, real friendship. So what does that look like? What is it about? Well, he explains it here. He sums it up uh, in the word knowledge, right? He sums it up the, uh, the essence of friendship in the word knowledge, where he says, No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. What is he saying here? To be friends with someone is to allow yourself to be known. Right? It's allow yourself to to be and, and to be known is to be exposed and is to be vulnerable. Another way of saying this is to have a real friendship is to take a risk. Right? It's to take a risk of experiencing. Uh, a certain kind of pain that's not possible with acquaintances, right? To be known is to be vulnerable. C.S. Lewis, of course, said it absolutely best when he said, to love, is all, to love it all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give it, not, you must give it to no one, not even an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your own selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. And that's really the heart of it, folks, is that To have friendship, you have to be willing to be hurt. And you will be hurt, I promise you. If you love someone long enough and you have a real friendship, I can tell you as a pastor, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that every single one of you in this room here are sinners. And so if you know someone in the context of who they genuinely are, you will, one time, more than once, you will know them in the context of their sin, and their sin will, if you give it enough time, ultimately injure you. And the true test of whether your friendship is of the sort that Jesus describes here in this passage will be whether it can proceed or not, right? If it's, if it's not at the level of spiritual friendship, it won't be able to proceed. But if it is at the level of spiritual friendship, you will be able to, as we'll see a, a little bit here in this passage, uh, nonetheless move forward even though there's sin. So how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, I want to just bring out um, just a couple points from the passage uh, to show you this. How do we have real, genuine friendships, even though we're sinners? What does that look like? Well, the first thing I want to mention is time. So it's interesting, this passage here in the Gospel of John is coming at the end of Jesus' ministry, right? He is, uh, if, you, if you know the context of this 
uh, of these remarks here, it's what, what I've called the departure discourse. Jesus is beginning to say goodbye to his disciples. He's giving them his last words, right? He's recording for them all of the advice he wants to give them because he's leaving, right? He spent his entire ministry with them, and it's only at this point, it's only after three years of day in and day out, doing work together, seeing them fall and fail and, and have all kinds of experiences, it's only after this point that he will say to them, now you're my friends, right? And so at a bare minimum, the basic ingredient for friendship is time. You know, one of the things I, I encourage folks uh, as they're coming into the church, I tell folks, look, if you want to develop friends, one of the things you have to do is you have to spend time and get past the awkwardness. I just tell folks, look, we're an awkward group. And if you're new here and you're wondering, wonder what this church is all about, we're awkward, okay? And, and I, have set, I have set that tone and vision really well because I'm awkward. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's okay. But I'll tell folks, look, if you want to be successful at Ironworks, go get into a home group or a group that's like a home group and commit to going every single meeting for one year's time and statistically, you will end up with friends. And most of the time, folks are now doing it. A lot of times, folks don't. And I'll tell you, in 100% of the cases where folks don't do that, they end up leaving the church after about two and change years saying, oh, I don't have any friends here. And I said, well, you've got to commit. You've got to spend the time and get past the awkwardness. And it's what we see here. Isn't it, isn't it realistic? Jesus doesn't just envision that you'll wave a magic wand and be able to trust someone. He says it takes time. Uh, he, did not, he did not declare these folks uh, his friends right away, but he did so really towards the end of his ministry. So the first thing is it takes time. The second thing it takes is vulnerability, right? And, and this is a function of time, that in order to, in order to have a connection of the soul, as, as Deuteronomy uses that language, Right? In order to have a connection of the soul, you've actually got to reveal your soul. Right? So in order to have a genuine friendship, you have to be willing to be honest. You have to be willing to let another human being in to see who you are genuinely, the things that you fear, the sins that you have that, that most others don't know about. You have to be willing to be vulnerable. And I can tell you that... Um, this is both uh, a great blessing and is also the most painful thing I've ever experienced, right? And this, I'm going to be honest, this is uncensored Darren. This is the greatest blessing and is also the most painful thing I've ever experienced. You see, because to be vulnerable with someone and to let them in as to the things that you genuinely fear, the things that you, the problems you, you actually have, uh, the parts of your soul that no one else knows, when you let someone in, and you connect with them in that way, and you're able to, to have someone who you think is praying for you, who, who is walking with you in that, who's challenging you in an appropriate way, that is one of the greatest blessings I have ever experienced, ever. At the same time, when you do that, and then there is a betrayal, right? Then there is a, uh, someone does not treat that information well, but uses it against you or decides that they never want to talk to you again because maybe you've sinned against them or maybe something has happened, that is the most painful thing that I've ever experienced, right? So it's both. 
It's on one hand, the most blessed thing. On the other hand, it's the most painful thing. And that is the dynamic. That is what C.S. Lewis is getting at, isn't he? Right? He's saying you have two choices. You can either be willing to have your heart broken, or you can have an unbreakable heart. Which would you prefer? And the message of this, of this passage here, though, is that in the economy of Christ, in the plan of our Lord Jesus Christ, that friendship is not optional. Right? If it were optional, he wouldn't use this language in verse 13, would he? He would say, just love people. You don't have to like them. Just love them. Just hate them with love, however that works. Right? Just protect yourself at all costs. But he says, no, you have to love others. And the way that you know that you are is when you begin to sacrifice for your friends. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. And friends, this is, I think, one of the breakthroughs that I can offer you in how to actually be successful at this, right? So how can you be successful when you have the stakes that are this high, right? You've got vulnerability, which comes with it, the greatest blessing of connection, the greatest blessing of an ally, but you also run the risk of having your own Judas, right? Which we'll see in the passage in a little bit, right? Jesus, of course, Judas is, we, this, will be a, this will be the shocker of the sermon, right? Judas is here. He's not excluded at this time, right? And Jesus is saying all these things. So for Jesus, the idea of betrayal is not hypothetical. It's not pie in the sky, you know, it's not theoretical. This is the life that he lived, right? So how do you do that? Well, what Jesus gives us here as a guide is he says, the way that you do that, the way that you love as I have loved, is you have to be willing to lay down your life, right? You have to be willing to sacrifice. What does that mean practically? Well, of course, it means, you know, someone needs help you give up your time and you help them. You know, when your friends are in need, you rush to their aid. When someone is grieving, you rush to grieve with them. When someone's celebrating, you rush to celebrate with them. When they need meals, you bring them a meal. When they need to be listened to, you listen to them. When they need, you know, their porch painted, I don't ever help with that because that's mean. Um, but, you know, if you have those skills, you go and you help them paint. I, I have been banned from painting ever. Just for the record, if you need painting, I will not be serving you in that way, because it would not be serving you. But yeah, you try to help, and you try to serve in practical ways. But what's the way that you can serve the most? And the answer, of course, uh, is to serve as Christ has served, whereby you lay down your life. That's this language here, verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life. And friends, I think that the, the best and most pointed case of this is in those moments, in those seasons when there is sin and hurt, right? When this, is, this is the situation, and we'll see, this is the, the issue with Judas most particularly. When there is sin and hurt, he says, that is when you lay down your life for sacrifice. That is when it happens. And what, what might that look like, right? What might, what might that look like? Well, the picture that we have here is it looks pretty similar to the way that Jesus deals with you and I, right? And, and I love to rehearse this because I love, I need to know it every day. You see, the message of the gospel is that the Lord Jesus walks with you as a sinner, and he does not stop from loving you even though you betray him. 
Even though you disobey him, even though you don't believe him, even though you're not faithful, even though you serve other gods and money and, and passions and pleasures, even though you do all these things, he continues to walk with you, he continues to pray for you, and he is always there to help you. And in the same way, what he calls you and I to, he calls us to walk with others in such a way that when we are sinned against, when there is a brokenness, that we continue to walk in this way. I will walk with you. I will not give up on you. I will pursue you. I will continue to take risks with you as appropriate. I will continue to live out this posture of Christ towards you. That is the call of the gospel, and that is what God is doing uh, in the universe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's saying here is that as you learn as to how Christ has done this with you, the way that you know you're learning this is that you begin to live this way with others. You begin to be transformed in this way with others. And friends, my heart, and I think the heart of this passage, is that we would experience such a transformation that we would be able to live out a commitment towards others that would absolutely puzzle our friends, our neighbors, and our family. Right? That as we are able to break this trend of being friends with folks who think differently than us, as we are able to have friendships that sustain real sin and yet proceed, where we don't simply walk away, but we proceed, as we're able to do that, what we will be doing is we will begin to reflect the work of Christ towards you. Now, this is the, the shocker of the Gospels, and I, I had not noticed this, but um, in the Gospel of Matthew, when Jesus is being betrayed by Judas, this is what, this is what Matthew 26, 47, uh, beginning in verse 47 says. So Jesus is there, uh, and he is experiencing the most profound instance uh, of betrayal and brokenness ever in human history. And it says this, the Scriptures, Holy Scriptures report it this way. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd of swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, this one I will kiss as the man sees him. And he came up to Jesus at once with that smile on his face and he said, greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. And then Jesus said in verse 50, friend, do what you came to do. Do you hear that? Jesus is living the reality of what he is saying to us in, in chapter 15. Right? He is living that reality. Friend, as, as, as Judas is coming up all to face, absolute betrayal, absolute uh, in the opposite direction, with that smile on his face, giving him a fake kiss, Jesus says, friend, do what you came to do. And friends, what we see in that, you know, it's one, you might look at that and, 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 and sh be shocked and horror, but you see, friends, what I think the message of the gospel is, is that Jesus does that to you and I on a weekly basis, right? The ways that you have, the ways that you have transgressed his law this week, the ways that you have, have preferred other things, the, the, the images you have looked at, the ways in which you have hoarded your money and not been generous to the poor, the ways that you've hoarded your time and not been serving the city, the ways that you have 
written other people off and not pursued them in this way, and, and yet you come to the Lord and worship this morning, and you're saying, yes, Lord, I'm here. And what does he say? I love you. He loves you even when you get it completely wrong. Even when we turned our backs on him, he opened himself to us. And we're going to turn to this table, and this table is the heartbeat and the centerpiece of this teaching. And my, and my friends, what I would uh, put before you is uh, a simple exhortation to find something different than what our culture has. Our culture does not understand this. Our culture does not have real friendship. Friendship, uh, as the, the one article was tracing friendship from the boomers up through the millennials and showing how each progressive generation is having less and less real friends, and then the friends are more homogenous, and we're moving in that trajectory, but the church has the opportunity and the power to live something profoundly different. And friends, I can tell you that that will make a difference in your friends and, na- and your neighbors, right, and your friends uh, out in the city. They, they do not expect or understand anything remotely close to this. But as you come to Christ, as you experience his welcoming of you and offer that to other human beings, this will be effective to the mission of the church. And I would love to see that. I would love to see revival here in Phoenixville as the Lord does this in our midst. Let me pray. Father God, we praise you, Holy Spirit. We adore you. And we pray, Lord, that you would do this work in our midst. We pray, O God, that we would be a transformed group of people uh, whereby real friendship is possible, whereby it flourishes, uh, and whereby your work is done in our midst. Lord, I pray that it would be effective to the mission of your church. I pray that you would rebuild this city and this culture that is disintegrating at such a degree by changing us. Lord, would you renew in us the friendship of Christ, and would it show up in our friendship with others? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sam is going to take us to the table.